In, uh, will be familiar if you were here last week. It's the same passage again, uh, the parable of the uh, prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours who came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Just a word before diving into the sermon. Um, Many of you last week, toward the end of the service, we gave the opportunity to write out messages um, for uh, people who gather at a local mosque, just in light of what had happened in New Zealand, and uh, I did go through them. I read them all just in case somebody said something, you know, that I had to reject, but there were no rejections. Yay! Um, And uh, then I delivered them down to uh, the mosque, went and met um, with Petrit, who is the imam there, a young man who's the imam, and uh, it was great. Uh, He wanted, uh, on his behalf and the behalf of his congregation there, to send his gratitude. Uh, I went on Thursday. Their main gathering is on Friday. That's when they get a lot of people for Friday prayers. And so that hadn't happened yet. And so uh, most of the people will see these messages. Um, you know, oh, they will, they will have seen them on Friday. Because what Patrit did with them, um, it's actually beautiful. The mosque down right by Tomahawk, um, Tim Horton's there, used to be a, a, an Anglican church. And they just kind of gutted it and, and made it like, took out a bunch of walls and put glass windows in so it's quite light in there it's beautiful and uh anyway in the entry because of course you have to take your shoes off right if you're going to go into the main hall and so there's there's shelves there to put all your shoes on and there's a men's entrance and a women's entrance 
And, uh, but in the main area where the shelves are, they had a number of little flowers, potted plants, messages from neighbors in the Norgate community where they are. And he just took our messages and just laid them out there. And so um, very, very grateful. And thank you for, I was really, it sounds, I was really proud. <laughs> like when I read what you wrote, I was in tears because I thought this is Christian faith. To be able to reach out to the other. We don't have to say we believe the same thing. It's not what this is about at all. We don't believe the same things. But our faith calls us to reach out in love, particularly to those who see things differently than we do. And what a wonderful example of that. I'm really proud of what you put, some of you clearly. Uh, And it was just momentary, right? Like you had to do it so quickly. But you poured your heart into this, and the Holy Spirit was really, really present. So thank you. So the third Sunday in Lent and the second Sunday for us to look at this story so-called of the prodigal son. But of the three main characters in this story, the prodigal son is probably the one who we need to, in a sense, consider the least. Uh, it's, it's a misnamed parable. Many of the parables are misnamed. Uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, you know, the one where everybody gets hired at different times of the day and they all get paid equally. That story is about the extravagant um, goodness of the the person who hires them the landowner and this story is probably the third person that it's it's about the younger son in a way but that's probably the third of the main characters the main character is the father clearly and then today we consider the second character it's pretty small but we'll get there uh the older brother so when i ask you the question where's the tragedy in this story if there's any tragedy Tragedy being that place where things seem to have not gone well or as they should or there is some kind of loss and it doesn't seem that that loss can be recovered in the story itself. In other words, there's not this kind of neatly packaged, uh, nice way that things end. If there's any tragedy in this story, it is with the older brother, right? The younger brother, the younger son is there Embraced by the love of his father. The older brother in this story, when the story ends, remains outside. When I say that it's tragedy, um, when I pray about this, I'm mindful that this is one of the harder sermons for religious communities to hear. And so as I say things this morning that might make you squirm, Please trust that I say them with what I hope is a compassionate heart. Let me put it this way. Our heart must break for the older brother. Or, our heart breaks for people who have this desire to do things well and properly, but still seem to have missed something key in life. It's a hard thing. Because religious communities, when you talk about the older brother, some can feel accused. We are more likely, those of us who've grown up in church, we are more likely to find ourselves, if we are honest with this story, identifying with the older brother than with either of the other two characters. We've, of course, learned what it means to to relate and identify with the younger brother. I'm a sinner. I'm forgiven. But the message to the older brother is real and in some ways hard. The occasion of the story, the beginning of the chapter. Now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. In other words, these people who were disreputable. The ones who good religious people would not like. And it seemed as Jesus was walking this earth that those people wanted to be with Jesus and the religious people weren't that interested in Jesus. May the Lord give us ears to hear. And so, because the wrong people were interested in Jesus and following him, those people who were proper and right and upstanding began to get upset. And they accused him. That accusation is the occasion for this story, which is, as I told you last week, and as many of you know, it's, it's one of three stories, right? Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. But this is the, the big one of those three. 
If we make this story about repentance, now I'm not against repentance, by the way. Repentance is one of the beautiful gifts of God. One of the best gifts that God gives us is that we can repent. That we can say sorry. And I'm understanding in my life more and more, I've got plenty of sin to repent from. And you don't even know the half of it. And I could say the same for you. But I'm also learning that we repent somehow of our goodness as well. Oh Lord, these things that I think I'm doing that are right and proper, but it's still based on me. Forgive me, Lord. But this story is not primarily about that first kind of repentance. If you make it a story about repentance, you potentially, I think actually, do a disservice to the text. We have a frame, right? Those of us who've grown up in the evangelical church have a frame. God is perfect. We're not. We're sinners. We can't be close to God because we have sinned. So we trust in Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins. So what we do is we take that frame and we just dump it over every story to some degree. Not that it's wrong, but the problem is we have a hard time hearing other things. And this story has a lot more to say about coming to faith, about being awakened to God's love. And in this story, who is the one who remains unawake? The occasion of the story, as I said at the beginning of the chapter, is this accusation that Jesus welcomes sinners too easily. And the unclear outcome is not with the younger son, though at this point, when we don't know exactly what happens with the younger son after this, what his life is like, what if he does this kind of thing again? Well, he can't demand his inheritance again. That's used up. And it would seem that he doesn't get it back, though his father calls for the best robe. Four threads for us through Lent. Firstly, that Jesus Christ takes our place as judge. We don't have to be the judges in this world. Thanks be to God. Secondly, that Jesus, play, Jesus Christ takes our place, all of us, as sinner. Thirdly, that Jesus suffers and is crucified. We mentioned that the only one who refuses to die to self in this story is the older brother. The other two characters die to themselves. But the older brother is still standing on what he thinks makes him acceptable. Jesus suffers and is crucified. And finally, he does all of this before God, before his Father and our Father, our Heavenly Father. Where and when do we meet the older brother? Well, in verse 11, which is the very beginning of the story, it's how the story starts. We're told there was a man who had two sons. So right away you know there's a younger and an older. And then there's nothing about the older brother until verse 25. So from verse 11 to verse 25, you have the story. That's why this is called, not in Scripture, but by those who've given names to these things later, the story of the prodigal son. Because verse 11 to 25 have nothing about, or 24, have nothing about the older brother. Probably, as I said, should be called the story of the loving father. After the leaving of the younger son, and after the squandering, and after his return, all of this has happened. We spoke about that last week. Where all that time has the older brother been? At home. Doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't reject the father. He didn't say to the father, give me what's rightfully mine and leave. He, to some degree, did things right. Is that so bad? Of course not. I don't know how many of you have found yourself in these circumstances, whether it's relationships in your family, it might be siblings or at work or whatever it might be, where all you've done is what you're supposed to do. And somebody else seems to kind of wreck the whole system and do all kinds of things wrong, and they get the attention, and they get the focus. Meanwhile, you're just doing what you're supposed to do all the way along. The older brother all this time has been close to home. He has taken up duty and obligation. 
apparently, though we're going to learn a bit more, without anger or frustration, but maybe we'll learn more, as I say. He has been, and I put in brackets there, proximity, he has been close to the Father. But one of the points of the story is that that closeness has been mostly about proximity and not necessarily love. True presence. Jesus spoke about this kind of thing a lot. You honor God with your lips, but you're far away. He seems to be close to the Father, but we find out a little bit different by the end. False judgment, the kind of judgment that we think is a good thing. Keep things right and proper and as they should be. Nothing wrong with that. But that false judgment that then prevents, if it's used in such a way, prevents people from seeing God, defeats a larger purpose. There is a degree to which it is a false judgment that comes from the older brother. We have to look at what he says and does. First, he hears music. That's, that's the next time we get to the older brother, after there was a man who had two sons. We get that the younger son came home, there was this party, and the older, older son was out working in the fields, I suppose, somewhere not at, at the actual place where the celebration happened. And what's the first thing that draws his attention to the return of his brother? Music. This is not the first religious person to, when he hears music, go, uh-oh, must be something wrong. But there it is. His first response is not, there must be something good going on. It's, somebody's up to no good. Religious people of various faiths, Christian included, I don't know whether you want to use fundamentalist in a negative way or however you want to use it, have been accused of you know, having this fear that somebody somewhere is having a good time. And when the older brother hears the music, his first reaction is, uh-oh. So what does he do? He gets a servant. And I call this a sin spotter. He hires a sin spotter. He, the older brother, is pretty good at spotting sin. To some degree, he might think that this is part of his service. But sin spotters often hire out the work because they want to kind of remain away from it. So he gets a servant and says, you go check out what's going on and come back and report to me. And so the servant does. And it seems as if the servant um, is saying pretty good things. He called one of his servants, verse 26, and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. What do you think are the emotional motivations and energy of the servant at this point? Positive or negative? Positive. Your brother is not dead. He's come back. He's alive, and that's why there's a party. And I mean, one of the commentaries I was reading, one of my favorites, Robert Farrar Campon, talks about the older brother as he's the dean of the faculty of religion. He's the head of the Department of Morals and Ethics, the man with volumes and volumes of records that he has kept on himself and everyone else. And so how does he respond to the servant's apparent joy? Verse 28 is one of the hardest verses in Scripture. But he was angry and refused to go in. People want to know where hell is? There it is. There are two leavings in this story. The younger son we know leaves. He squanders, wastes, and indulges. But in the end... He returns. 
and is embraced and is welcomed back. He was dead and he comes to life. The older son still has no idea that in himself he is dead. He stays at home, but he has left the joy of his father's love. Taken up, not as loving response necessarily, or somehow it's hardened. I don't fully know how this happens. Taken up duty and obligation and judgment and hatred. In other words, duty and obligation have not remained what they can be positive. That duty and obligation have led him to the place where he believes that he is judge over his brother and his father. And he hates them. There is a way in which he hates them. He was angry and refused to go in. Thomas Merton, Trappist monk writing in the um, 1950s and 60s, died a number of years ago, but was one a Christian person, deeply Christian in his faith, but greatly respected by people outside of the Christian faith as well. He wrote um, a lot. And uh, still today, there's like Merton societies. And, and so the language in the quote that I'm putting up is a bit old. The pronouns are old. When he says man, he means humanity. But he warns us against being too interested in sin. Now, what he, does, he doesn't mean, don't go sin. Of course he means that. Right? What he means is, if your faith has you thinking and talking about your and people, your and other people's sin, more than being aware of God's love, you've reached a dangerous place. He said, Watch out for those people who like to talk about sin. He actually warned us like that. For those men who preach most vehemently about evil and the punishment of evil, so that they seem to have practically nothing else on their minds except sin. And then this is the bad accusation, the hard accusation. They are actually unconscious haters of other men. Some of you have done this to people. Some of you have found yourself under the leadership of someone who poses to love. Do you know, virtually every time Jesus speaks about judgment in hell, and there are lots of times, but virtually every time it is reserved for those who are offended by the grace of God. In this story, there is hell. There is hell in this story. And the only one in it is the older brother. I think there's something in this for us. We owe a great debt of gratitude to people who've come before us in this faith. But we need to consider how we are going to speak the Christian faith into this world right now. And there are a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, some of it, sure, wrongly, who see the Christian faith as represented by the older brother. Pope Francis Gets in trouble too, doesn't he? But um, he has kind of a current version. I think this was 2017 version of Merton's warning. He says, be careful around those who are rigid. Behind the rigidity, there is something hidden in a person's life. And this is the part I like. Rigidity is not a gift from God. (laughs) Gentleness? Yes. Goodness, yes. Benevolence, yes. Forgiveness, yes. But rigidity? No. Behind rigidity there is something like an illness, and that's where my heart breaks for the older brother. He seems unable 
only by good things to accept the love of the Father. Merton goes on to describe hell. He says, hell is just the place where people hate each other, hate others, hate what they see in themselves. It's a perpetual alienation. The one who remains alienated in this story, and it's not by any doing other than his own, is the older brother. hardest thing is to consider, but this is what we owe to the world. We don't owe the world kind of to tell them what's wrong with them. We owe the world that we would seek and repent over our own behavior, our own failure to show the depth of the love of God, right? It's not if only if they would get with the program and become like us. It's how am I failing to show the depth of the love of God as shown to me in Jesus Christ? And in that spirit, I say, we have at times quite aggressively taught that people should be like the older brother. But that's where the outer darkness is in this story. And he's in it. He is the one who refuses to go into the party. He is the one who is offended by extravagant love. And he is the one who is unable to accept that extravagant love for himself because he believes that he has earned it. What's the contrast to all of this? And I have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now that by God's grace you would see. He gave himself. He emptied himself. Being equal with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And at his name, every knee shall bow. He's been exalted. The cross of Jesus Christ still stands in contrast to every religious enterprise that has ever happened. the older brother, and at times, this is hard, good religious people are the last ones to be able to understand the cross. Jesus went to the darkest of all places. He went a lot further away from the Father in terms of heaven, Jesus entering into sin. He went a lot further away than the prodigal in this story went from the Father. He went to the darkest of all places to bring light, to redeem, to bring life and resurrection and victory over sin. And when he had defeated it, we realized there is no score to keep, no ledger of behavior. It's all a dying. It's all letting go. And then we are free to live in response to this love. But so many churches and so much religion are still more impressed with the older brother and I can understand his case and my heart breaks for him and if you have felt yourself in his place my heart breaks for you. I love you. But what is most likely preventing you from seeing the depth of the love of Jesus Christ is the same kind of thing that prevented the older brother from seeing We open like older brother educational institutes. Here's how to be good. And what strikes me in this story, considering the younger brother and the older brother, you'd have to ask, are you impressed by the younger brother's badness? The father isn't. (laughs) The father isn't scandalized when the younger son comes back. He just loves him. The hard part is that the father also isn't necessarily impressed by the older brother's goodness. We don't impress God with our badness. But thanks be to God, we don't impress him with our goodness either. We are good in response to his love. That's the impressive thing. The 
The son gives a long speech. It's all accusation at the father. The older son. You have to think, would he rather his brother have died? He gives a long speech. I've been here the whole time. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. He didn't even give me a little goat. The father has apparently pleased no one. At the beginning, this younger son kind of pushes him away. There is a rejection of the, of the father, but it's now on the part of the older brother. At the end, the older son is unable to humble himself before this love. And in the end, the father does not humble himself before his older son's accusation. Remember how he welcomed the younger son? Here, in verses 31 and 32, the end of the story, he endures the speech. And then he simply says, and I guess we, whatever tone is there, we would have to read it in there. We know he's a loving father for both of his sons. So we know that he's not going to holler at him in that way, like hurt him. He says, if you want my love, my blessing, what I have has always been yours. You've been right here with me all along. But don't you tell me not to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And the hardest part of the story is that apparently at that point, he allows the older son to remain outside. The father, by the way, went outside to talk with him. That's how loving he is. He took a break from the party and went to his older son. In the painting, do you see where the older brother is? This is um, artistic imagination by Rembrandt because, of course, in the story, the, the older son just doesn't enter the party. So this is drawn as if the older brother is, is there when, when the son is, has returned instead of hearing the music. But in the, in the painting, which is not scripture, by the way, but it can help us a little bit, do you notice that the older son looks a lot like the father? He's got similar clothes. He's just a younger version of the father. But he's not like him. He's very different in some key ways. And secondly, in the painting, I think Rembrandt does a nice job, not that I'm an artistic critic by any means, but certainly those who have studied this, learned it, and you can just see it in seeing it. The outer darkness, the distance, is of his own choosing. He remains apart. What do I want you to know? I'm aware, when we get to the prodigal son, by the way, pastors talking to other pastors, we often mention this is one of the hardest sermons to preach in a religious community. I mean, if you actually preach about the older brother actually remaining outside, there's ways to make it say something different that makes religious communities feel good. But Jesus told it when he had this accusation. So what would I like you to know? First, that God, the loving Father, is reconciling the world to himself by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What God is doing, you can be saved. You can know faith in Jesus Christ. But one of the greatest gifts that I can offer you in speaking or teaching, is to help you see that your salvation is part of a much, 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 much bigger story. The heart of the Father is loving. It's about reconciliation by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we would stop hearing this as if we were the older brother. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Careful. 
I guess what I'm saying is I get mentally, emotionally, and spiritually tired of people like the older brother in our culture and world being treated as if they're the most Christian. Not in this story, not as Jesus told it. If you want to know the strength of God's blessing and God's love, I only got maybe one more hard thing to say, okay? And then, then we can take a breath and have communion. I experience this one as a bit more fun. You might not. The question is not about what goodness can we have that might impress God. The question is, will we live our lives in response to the love of this Father who loves us and others, including the people who we are convinced have wasted? Dear Heavenly Father, you love me the same. What does it mean that I'm on the same level in need, Lord Jesus Christ, of your sacrifice and your love. Forgive me for alienating myself from you, for alienating myself from others. Do you want to know the strength and the blessing of God's love? Then you humble yourself before it. You have no words left to say. No accusation left to give. So here's the hard thing. A theologian who's become a bit of a friend of mine. Well, actually, I don't know if he's fully a theologian. I look at him as a theologian. He's written a number of things. And, and uh, he grew up in the evangelical church on the prairies in Canada. He became kind of a curator at museums and stuff in Alberta. And Some of you have met him. His name's David Goa. David Goa is now Orthodox part of the Orthodox Church. He grew up Evangelical Lutheran. So he's got a beard down to here now. And he came and did a tasting room theology for us a couple of years ago. He's a loving, wonderful, nice man. But he grew up more in the kind of the evangelical setting than, than what he's now in the Orthodox setting. So he says what I'm about to say is a joke, okay? So what are you about, David? Like, why do you go from whatever to this to Orthodox? I mean, that's a big step. You know what his answer to me was? I have a mission I'm going to convert evangelicals to faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some people got the joke. <laughs> Every one of us invited to respond to God's love. And by the way, in the end, what will be more compelling to people to see the love of your Heavenly Father? It's not your goodness. It's your awareness of that love. The wonderful thing is that in this story we're not told this, but some of you, some of us, I'll say you because I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely willing to say I've got 10,000 times 10,000 sins and whatever else. But my chief struggle in life has not always been to be the older brother. <laughs> my heart breaks for those of you who that has been a struggle. But many of you I, I know and I see this love for God and I'm so grateful for it. And I simply want to say to you, do you know that that's the thing that people need to see? Lead with the best. Because you are so blessed in God's love and strength. But not when you act like this guy. This older brother. Jesus Christ will turn to communion with this. It's so perfect. This is when he's with the disciples, right? The end, Last Supper, long conversation and um, address to his disciples in the book of John. So much of the Gospel of John is taken up in the last few days of the life of Jesus. And he starts talking about, I'm going away. And I'm, I'm not going to be with you anymore. And you remember Peter? Peter is fantastic because he just says what's on his head in his mind before he even knows it's in his mind. And you're going to have one of these interactions. So the disciples are really upset. They're troubled. You're going away from us? We thought you were going to save us and kind of our people. 
and now you're going away? So they're really, really upset. That's the context of this. And that's when Jesus says, John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, that's ESV, or the ones often you know. Trust in God, trust also in me. Now, think of the prodigal and the older brother. In my father's house there are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Do you see what he's doing for us? I'm going to bring you home. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back again. And I'll take you to myself. And where I'm going, there you will also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Thomas the doubter, we don't know the way to where you're going. Now it's there. Now when I was growing up as Baptist, you know, Mennonite background, Baptist faith early on, this verse, I've memorized this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one could. But it was kind of taught to me as like a bit of a hammer verse. Right? The emphasis was, no one comes to the Father except by me. And so it was used in such a way. That's how I understood it, at least is how it was taught to me. It kind of can't mean that in this context. What's the context where the verse exists? You're troubled. You're anxious. You're stressed. You don't know what's going on. And Jesus is saying, trust me, I'm the way. I'm the only way. It's a verse of comfort. Be careful if you use it as a verse of accusation. He's speaking it to people who were troubled. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The story ends in joy. I don't know what to do with the older brother. I wish he'd come into the party. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's pray and we'll receive communion. We always say you are welcome to receive communion. It's obviously totally up to you, but our suggestion is you're welcome to receive communion in this place if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to. And as you receive this communion today, I ask you to pray to God, to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus Christ, that your heart would be open and that you would see what he has done for you and this whole world and that laying aside your sin and your goodness, you would trust in him. So Heavenly Father, bless this communion as we share it. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that on the night you were betrayed, always strikes me. You took the bread and you broke it and you gave it even to the one who betrayed you. And you said that this bread is your body given for us, for this world. And after supper, in the same way, you took the cup. And we see this cup as your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And we declare to you and to one another as we receive that we trust in you. Bless this time of communion, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Bart to do one final song, I always say last, really it's, it's a sending song, the last song at church is, is reminding us that we're sent out into this world uh, you're not going to know it, and so you don't have to sing along, and it has you're going to know it? Okay, if you start to if you know it, then you're welcome to sing along but I am going to ask you to stand because it's a celebratory song 
of um, those words from John 14, that where I am, there you may also be. And so go, uh, I'll pronounce the benediction at the end, but go knowing what Jesus Christ said to us. These words, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me, that he goes to prepare a place. Amen. And there's a lot of words, but... an invitation to faith that I mean you've heard this particularly 